Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. I want to begin today by asking you a couple of questions, questions that uh, are not difficult. You will know the answers to these questions, although our answers will vary. And of course, your answers to these questions will set the stage for the subject matter of the verses we are dealing with this morning from our continued study on the Sermon on the Mount. We are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. But before we get there, first the two questions. Number one. What is your most prized possession? The thing that you value above everything else in the world. Now, I realize you might have more than one answer to that, or your answer might include multiple parts, but I'm asking you to sort of narrow it down. What is that one thing that is important to you that if your house was on fire, you would go inside and try to retrieve this particular item? In these type of situations, our answer is usually something that cannot be replaced, like photos or mementos of some sort, maybe a unique gift that someone had given to you that cannot be replaced, things that aren't valuable in the sense of how much someone would pay for them, but they are valuable to us. Now, in less stressful times, that is when the house is not burning, Our answer might be a little bit different. It might be our house or our car, maybe some jewelry, something like that would be our most prized possession. And even if we wouldn't admit that, we certainly insure it and guard it and maintain it as if it is. When I was flying back from the convention last week, I was halfway listening to the safety announcements that were given before we took off, even as everyone else on the plane was. And I didn't hear a lot of it, but I did hear this line. In the event of an emergency landing, do not uh, go after your carry-on luggage. It said, leave your carry-on luggage behind and proceed to the nearest exit. Now, do they really have to tell us that? I mean, do they really have to remind us that if we have a crash landing, that I'm not supposed to open the overhead bin and retrieve my computer or my iPad? I mean, don't we have enough sense to know that in that situation, my life is more important than my iPad, and I want to make sure that I get off the plane alive? Well, you might also answer this first question with a non-possession, meaning that your family is your most important or valuable possession. Or you might even say, since I'm asking this on a Sunday morning in a worship service, You might answer the question, what is my most valuable possession? With a spiritual answer, it is my relationship with Jesus Christ, and nothing can take that away. And while that is indeed the correct answer, I know you're just saying that to impress me. So let's move on to the second question. And the answer to your first question is going to determine the answer to your second question. The second question is this, where do you keep or store your most prized possession? Well, if it's that antique car, then it's probably in the garage. Or maybe it's in a safety deposit box if it's gold or commodities of some sort. 
Maybe you have a safe in your home and you keep things there because you want to keep them safe, but at the same time you need immediate access to them. Maybe it's buried in the backyard because you don't trust any of these other avenues. Or maybe it's hidden somewhere in the house that no one else knows where it is and no one will find it until after you're gone and your relatives sell your stuff. Well, this morning we are gonna talk about treasure and where you keep it, but we're not going on a treasure hunt. We're not looking for treasure. Instead, we are going to assume that all of us already possess treasure of some sort. And we are storing it somewhere. And that's what we want to talk about. I've chosen as my title a phrase that we often use to refer to materialism. The almighty dollar. Now I am going to use it that way, referencing the fact that we often do elevate material things to divine status, whether we realize it or not. But I'm also going to use it in a different way. To refer to the fact that our treasures ought to be divine in the sense that our treasures ought to be in heaven rather than on earth, and I'll try to explain that as we move along. So let's look at this next section, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, while we are beginning a new section of the sermon today, there is some carryover from the previous weeks, because you will recall the previous three sermons, we have talked in part about the promise that God has given us for rewards. That is, as we practice our religious devotions, If we do those things with the right motives, then in each of those three previous sections, we were promised rewards. And we acknowledge that those rewards were not well-defined. That is, they were not specifically said what they were or are. But we did surmise that at least in part, they are in the future in heaven because the tense of the terminology there is in the future. Now, in this section, we find talk of treasure, which is similar to reward, And we find two paths that we can choose to walk, a way to avoid and a way that we ought to follow, both of which pertain to treasure. And so we're going to start this morning by talking about the problems of earthly treasure. Our text begins with a warning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And then the reason is given, and that reason is that earthly treasures are by nature temporary. Now, you might want to argue with me just a little bit about that, but hang on, and I'll try to convince you. By earthly treasures, we understand Jesus to mean any valuables we have in this life, which is why I asked you that first question. 
He is not just talking about money, even though that term is found as the last term in this section, but he's talking about possessions of any sort. And so in our modern society, we're talking about valuables, retirement plans, stocks and bonds, houses and cars, and on and on we could go. Now, before we do go any further, I do need to say that those things are not wrong. It's not sinful if you possess valuable things. Many of these are, of course, necessities, as is planning for our future retirement. That's simply wise stewardship, so that when we do retire, we are not dependent upon others or dependent upon the government. So it is going to be an issue of balance, and ultimately, it is going to be an issue of the heart. We'll see that in this section, and we've been discussing it throughout this Sermon on the Mount. Now, this also means that all of this is going to be very subjective. There's not a fine line where we move from wise stewardship to materialism. And we are often harder on others than we are on ourselves. And by that, I mean this. When we talk about materialism, some of us will quickly say, well, I don't have a problem with that. After all, I'm not rich. But many of us are richer than we think compared to the average American or even compared to the world in general. And certainly we are far more wealthy than the people to whom Jesus first made this statement. Furthermore, you can certainly be materialistic in your heart whether you have money or not. Regardless of how much you have or do not have, you can still have a problem with materialism. I mean, isn't that why the lottery is so uh, prominent among those who can't afford to play it? Because while they do not have money to throw away like that, they do so because in their heart, they are hoping to hit it big. Now, you might also say that I've already talked about money. We talked about giving a few weeks ago when we talked about alms, that is giving to the needy. And now I'm bringing it up again. No wonder people say that all preachers care about is money. But remember, I didn't write the Sermon on the Mount. I appreciate the credit, but I can't accept it because this is Jesus speaking, not me. And secondly, did you know that Jesus talked about money more than any other social issue he dealt with? He talked about this far more than any other social issue because Jesus understood that talking about money is never just about money. It is always a matter of the heart. Money is neutral. It is not good or bad. It is our attitude and approach to money that makes it good or bad. Now, it is clear that Americans spend an awful lot of our time working for and amassing possessions. If you don't believe that, then the storage unit business testifies to the fact that you are wrong. We have bigger and bigger houses than ever before, and yet our houses cannot contain the things that we have amassed, and therefore there are storage unit facilities all over the place. And Jesus gives us three problems with storing up earthly treasures. First of all, he says, such treasures can slowly decay. That is what the idea of moth and rust are talking about. Clothing was valuable in Jesus' day as it was not something the average person has a closet full of. 
Now, we can guard against that. Today, I had some issue years ago with moths in my clothes, and I lost some clothes because of it. And so I bought some cedar and put it in my closet, and I've not had any problems since. But moths are not the main subject here. Rust, of course, over time can certainly destroy your possessions. They can decay because they rust out. We've been searching for a used car the last couple of weeks, and I'll tell you why in the next point. But I've had an expert helping me look for these cars, and that expert is in the back row over here, Mr. Bill Hickman, and uh, he keeps telling me, he's trying to teach me, he keeps telling me you don't want a car that has spent a lot of its time up north. And the reason is this, it's not because Bill doesn't like Yankees, but it is because Bill understands that a car that spent a lot of its time up north can have a problem with rust, and the weather up there can rust down a car far quicker than it can in the south, rendering the car useless. Now, we, of course, could think of countless other examples, but these two remind us that most all of our possessions do decay over time. We sometimes say something like, they just don't make them like they used to as a way of complaining about the fact that the products we buy do not last as long as we think they should, nor as they used to. And we could even expand this to include possessions like retirement funds that many of us know full well can indeed decay when the market goes down. A second problem with earthly treasures is not only can they slowly decay, but they can suddenly be destroyed. I mean, if the pain of a slow decay is not bad enough, sometimes they are gone in the blink of an eye. Whether it's a natural disaster, an accident, or a thief, as the example Jesus gives, the end result is the same. I've never really had anything of great value stolen from me. I have had a few minor thefts through the years, but again, nothing of great value. I had a car stolen from me one time, but it wasn't mine. I was a salesman at the time, and it was stolen from me on the car lot, but it didn't belong to me, and so while I was mad, I wasn't out any money. It's not fair that someone takes something from you. You've worked hard to to earn the money to buy whatever it is you want, and then someone just decides because of their lack of character and integrity that they want what you have, and they take it, but it happens all the time. I told you we've been looking for a used car, and here's why. Because Lauren's Camry was suddenly destroyed a couple of weeks ago. She was on her way to work. It was not her fault. She was not hurt. But because someone else wasn't paying attention, in the blink of an eye, the car that she's had for, I don't know, seven or eight years was suddenly gone. And that is the problem, at least one of them, with earthly treasures, The third problem with earthly treasures is not specifically mentioned in this text, but we do need to hear that, and that problem is our soon departure. Up until now, you might think, well, there's a loophole here. I will amass earthly treasures, but I will put those treasures in commodities that historically do not go down in value. I'll buy gold, and I'll insure it so if it is stolen, the insurance company will pay me back so that I can replace that which has been stolen. But if that's your approach, then you haven't thought about this last element. Because if your possessions don't leave you, you will leave your possessions. 
We all know the saying to be true, you can't take it with you. No matter how many earthly treasures you amass, amass, you will leave them behind. Yes, others may benefit from them. Others may use them wisely after you're gone, or they may uh, uh, squander them all. And while you might balk at the idea of using the word soon here, I'm using it in the eternal perspective. I don't mean that we're all going to die this week or next month, but I do mean that from a historical or eternal perspective, our deaths are imminent. And as a result, we are going to leave our possessions. It is not a matter of when our possessions are, or if our possessions are going to leave us. It is a matter of when. Therefore, Jesus says the best place to store your treasures is not on earth. This world is not the safe place to store and secure your belongings. So then, where can we put our valuables? If we can't store them here for the reasons just given, where then can we put them? Well, I'm glad you asked because we'll move on to our second point. Jesus gives us the answer in the very next verse, verse 20. Using the same terminology, he says in the opposite way, we need to talk about the permanence of heavenly treasure, the temporary nature of earthly treasures, and now the permanence of heavenly treasures. He says very specifically, if we store our treasures here, then none of the things that we just talked about can ever happen to them. Nothing can take them away. Now, as I've already said, we can't take it with us. And so we must be talking about a different kind of treasure altogether. And so the first and most obvious statement is that secure treasures are treasures deposited in heaven. This is where our focus and priority must lie. But that leads to a second question. Okay, my treasures are secure if they are in heaven, but what kind of treasures are we talking about? And I'll say, secondly, we are talking about spiritual treasures. The only kind of secure treasures that you can have are spiritual treasures in heaven. So Jesus is not talking about gold and silver. He is not talking about anything money can buy. Rather, he is talking about our spiritual lives and the fact that our spiritual lives are to be more important and thus a greater priority than anything materially. So spiritual treasure begins with our own relationship with Jesus Christ, meaning trusting him by faith is the only way for you to gain access into heaven. Those rewards that we've been talking about the last three weeks, those are not going to get you there. You're not going to be faithful in your devotions, and then because of that, you are going to be rewarded in heaven with salvation. Nor is investing in the kingdom, which is, about what, which is what we are about to start talking about, that doesn't get you access into heaven. The only thing that gets you access into heaven is trusting by faith in who Christ is and what he has done for you for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that he brings. And then you will treasure Christ for what he has done and for who he is. And to the point that one day you will be with him in heaven for all eternity. And that is the greatest spiritual treasure. So first and foremost, the spiritual treasure we're talking about is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have any of the others until you first have that. But as great as that is, spiritual treasure does not stop there. It also involves us investing in God's kingdom for the sake of others. In other words, as I treasure and as you treasure your relationship with Christ, we desire that others have that same experience. 
Because this is not a competition. This is not if you get treasure in heaven that mine is somehow going to be diminished. No, in fact, the exact opposite is true. If I help you see the value of treasure in heaven, not only do you receive that, but mine is expanded in some sense. So part of what we are talking about here, the spiritual treasure, is sharing our faith with others because we desire for them to have the same relationship with God and ultimately experience him in heaven forever. And we can only imagine the joy that is in heaven over those who we have had a part in leading to faith in Christ. I would also add that I think treasure in heaven goes back to the good works and the devotion that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Again, repeatedly we heard Jesus say that God sees what we do in secret and will reward us as a result. Elsewhere, Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water to someone in my name, that he sees what's going on. So it is these acts of kindness and these religious devotions that we are involved in that are good investments that build up treasure in heaven and the return on these investments will bear dividends throughout eternity. And that is why they are permanent rather than temporary. So in summary, spiritual treasure stored in heaven is investing in people for spiritual purposes and investing in the kingdom of God for the same reason. Now, this does not mean that every dollar you spend must be invested in people or the kingdom. Again, we all have bills to pay. We all have responsibilities to meet. We all have a future to plan for. No one is arguing here that 100% of the money you have must go to kingdom causes. But the argument is being made that a good portion of it should. Because kingdom causes ought to be our priority, and we'll see more of that in just a moment. And this is what gives new meaning to the phrase, the almighty dollar, my title. Not just a derogatory phrase for materialism, but a phrase to say now that we understand it, that in some sense our money ought to be invested in divine ways because we are storing up treasure in heaven. At this point, I'll simply say that our faith or spiritual life is not to be a hobby to be fiddled with when there's nothing left to do. It is to be our focus and it is to be our passion. And as a result, we don't mind investing in it. And now we will turn our attention to why that is true. So we've seen the problems with earthly treasure. They are temporary. We have seen the, the permanence of heavenly treasure and we've acknowledged that spiritual treasures are more significant and long-lasting than material ones. But now we want to talk about the priority of the pursuit. That is the pursuit of heavenly treasure. And as we'll see, decisions must be made. Priorities must be established. You have a choice. Are you going to invest in heavenly treasures or are you going to invest in earthly ones? And not making a choice at all is indeed a choice. If you say, well, I'll think about it, you've already made a choice. Because by default, you are going to invest in earthly treasures. And that is why you need to understand what, why this is such a high priority pursuit. First of all, it's a high priority because, verse 21, it is a heart issue. And that has been our theme throughout this sermon. Actions 
are not just actions, but they are indicative of the state of our hearts. Which is why I will say again, our relationship to money is not neutral. Money is, but our attitude and approach to it says a lot. Now you understand when the text is using the word heart, and the way I'm using it this morning, we are not talking about an organ in your body that pumps the blood. Biblically here, it refers to what is of utmost importance to a person. We still use it that way. We say things like, well, you just need to get to the heart of the matter. And that means you need to make sure you understand what is most important in whatever it is you are talking about. And so that's what the word heart means here as well. But of course, it also entails the character of the person that, it, that is involved so that the heart speaks loudly about the kind of person that we are. The point being made in verse 21 is that the heart, meaning what is important to a person, that is what we value the most, what is our treasure, our heart and our treasure are going to be in the same place. That makes sense, doesn't it? Our treasure is the thing we value greatly. And the thing we value greatly is where our heart will be. And that is why this pursuit is so important. So if you are not sure whether you are storing up earthly treasures or heavenly treasures, then you can go about this a different way and you can examine your heart, which is what the whole Sermon on the Mount has been urging us to do. Because what you value flows from your heart. It is empirical proof of what is important to you. So if we go back to that initial question, what is your most prized possession? Your answer says a lot about the status of your heart. But it is also true that what you value reveals the nature of your heart. It, it flows both ways. What you value speaks of what's going on in your heart and vice versa. So either way, ultimately, this is a heart issue. It's not just a financial matter. It is not just a material matter. What you value, what your treasure is, is going to be found in conjunction with your heart. But secondly, and we've already alluded to this, but I want to make it specific, this is a priority pursuit, not only because it is a heart issue, but also because it is a character issue. Now, I get this from verses 22 and 23, which are admittedly some difficult verses to understand. The picture is clear enough, but what it exactly means has been debated by commentators and no consensus has been reached. The eye, of course, is the window through which light enters into the rest of the body. So if your eye does not work, meaning you are blind, then physically speaking, you live in darkness. Sometimes we even say that the eyes are the window to the soul. Meaning that if you look into someone's eyes, you can tell a lot about them. But I don't really think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The addition of the word lamp makes it harder to figure out. Because a lamp is something that usually gives off light. Which, of course, we've already talked about in this sermon. In the portion where it says, you are the light of the world. And then the illustration is given that nobody lights a lamp and then, and then covers it over. So it's possible here that the idea is that the eye is the way that we are enlightened so that we see where to go. And that is we walk in light if we follow the right path, but if we don't, we are walking in darkness and stumbling along. 
Now we said back in that lamp illustration a few weeks ago that the idea of light and darkness is an ongoing motif in scripture. It is well-known imagery. But the harder part of these verses is the idea of a healthy or a bad eye and how this can affect the entire body. I have bad eyes. I've told you that before. I mean, without my contacts, I can't see anything. I can't see the big E on the eye chart when I go to the eye doctor if I don't have my contacts in. But does that mean I'm living in darkness because my eyes are not healthy? I certainly hope not. But the hardest part of this analogy for us to follow are those terms healthy and bad as the way the ESV uh, interprets them. Now, there's a play on words here in the original language that is simply difficult to get, get across in our English translations. The word healthy can also mean single or even generous. It can refer to being focused or whole. But when the word is found in financial or material context, it could mean something like whole person generosity. And now I know you think I'm stretching things a bit, but I assure you I'm not. Healthy is just not the best translation of that word here in this text. The word for bad is indeed the standard word for evil. But how can an eye be evil? Well, we talk sometimes about giving people the evil eye, don't we? Speaking of evil eyes, I brought something along today. I don't know how well you're going to be able to see this, but this is an evil eye. I got this when I was in Turkey. Our friends in Turkey told me not to get this. They said, don't buy anything that has this on it. And there is all kinds of products in Turkey with this on it. You can buy jewelry and all kinds of things. I didn't buy this. I was given this uh, when I made another purchase of some sort. But in that country, it is believed that this can cause the misfortune of a person or his or her property. Conversely, by possessing this, it is believed that I can absorb the bad energy of somebody else so that my person and property are not destroyed. Now, I don't believe that, which is why I have no problem keeping this. I'm not superstitious. But at its core, what that symbolizes is the jealous or envious look of others toward your property which is actually pretty close to what Jesus is talking about here in our text. Because the Bible speaks about the evil eye as being the eye of greed or envy. Proverbs 23 and verse 6 says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Now you say, what's that got to do with this sermon? I mean, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. That has nothing to do with this sermon. Except for the word stingy, is really literally translated, whose eye is evil. Do not eat the bread of the man whose eye is evil. Proverbs 28 and verse 22 says, a stingy man hastens after wealth. And again, the literal translation is, a man whose eye is evil hastens after wealth. So all of that to come to this conclusion, the character issue here is whether or not we are going to be generous or greedy. 
When it talks about the eye being the lamp of the body and walking in light or walking in darkness, it is a matter of where are we going to focus and which path are we going to follow and ultimately, materially speaking, whether we are going to be generous or greedy. Are we going to be generous with what we have or envious of what others have? And that speaks of our character and that speaks of our heart. Finally, we see that this is a priority pursuit because it is a decisive issue. This is from the last verse, and what that means is we must make a decision. The last verse gives us that famous phrase, you cannot serve God and money. Some translations use the word mammon, which is actually not a translation, it's a transliteration, meaning it's just carried over from the Arabic. And it means, uh, uh, it means money, ultimately, so that's not a bad translation. But the word servant is also in need of explanation. I don't want to bog you down with too much grammar and definitions and technicalities, but the truth of the matter is we can serve two masters. I mean, you might have two jobs, and you can fulfill the obligations of those two jobs. You can serve two bosses fairly well. You can do both of them rather well. But the word here is really slave. And a slave is only obligated and wholeheartedly obligated to his or her master. All of, which, all of which speaks of total allegiance or absolute commitment. You cannot waffle back and forth. I know I've used this before, but you're familiar with it. Those ridiculous license plates that say a house divided, and they've got two college teams on them, you know, to say that the allegiance in this home is split between this team and that team. I think those are nonsense. But while that might be possible in college athletics... It is not possible in our spiritual life. We cannot go back and forth. We cannot be divided. And that's exactly what this text is talking about, that we must be wholeheartedly committed to the pursuit of gaining earthly, or I'm sorry, heavenly treasure. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said, he who loves money will never be satisfied. He who loves wealth will never have enough. Remember, and Solomon knew what he was talking about because he was an extremely wealthy man. And a few verses later, he, he says, you came into this world with nothing and you are going to go out of this world with nothing. So for a variety of reasons, it just does not make sense to spend our lives amassing earthly treasure. But by the end of that famous book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon comes to the right conclusion. He's gone through everything a man could have. And at the end of the book, he says, here is the end of it all. Pursue God, love God, serve God, and fear God, because this is what really matters. And in so doing, you will be prioritizing his kingdom rather than yours and building up treasures in heaven rather than on earth. I'll think about it. No, that's not good enough. You can't walk away saying, I'll consider it. Because if that is your response, then again, you've already made a decision. A decision must be made because the last phrase, you cannot serve God and money. So you must choose whom you are going to serve today. And as Joshua made that famous statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me pray.
Father, we do thank you for your word this morning and the time we've had to uh, worship together and study together. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to examine our hearts to see if indeed we are amassing earthly treasures or striving to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to see that we cannot serve both, but we must choose. And the right choice is to prioritize our relationship with you and your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. First Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with those, we will be content. You are dismissed.